This is Real Estate Rookie episode 255. So there is a point where, you know, you're looking at, am I doing house hacking? Am I doing short-term or long-term or mobile home park? Um, those different investments have different tax consequences and therefore different um, tax strategies. So um, before meeting with your tax person for the first time, you do want to have a, a fairly decent idea of what it is you want to do, right? What is my investment goal? How many rentals? What states do I want to be investing in? Because those kind of things play a very important factor for the starting point of what your plan is going to be on how to save on taxes. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start today's episode by shouting out someone by the username of Relatos. And this person left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with the title of Best Boring Banter Ever with an exclamation mark. Uh, this person says, I love listening to you guys. You definitely cater to the rookie investor, making it easy to digest what you teach, asking your guests great questions for both the novice and the pro. Keep up the boring banter and Ashley's laugh. So Ashley, you're getting some love from the rookie audience about that wonderful laugh of yours. How's that make you feel? I feel like somebody I knew wrote that because they're so used to crying <laughs> from all the hurtful comments. <laughs> People love it. People love it. There you go. And the boring banter. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate that, you guys, so much. And if you guys haven't yet, please do leave us an, an honest reading review on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten so many in coming in over the last couple of weeks here. It's been fantastic. But the more reviews we get, the more folks we can help. And helping folks is always the goal of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. So I know this, this episode comes out at the end of January. But this is actually one of the first episodes, actually the first episode mm -hmm. that we've recorded of 2023. So 2022 is officially in the rear view. We're now in 2023 and I'm excited for this year. I'm, I'm excited for some changes in our business and how things are going to grow. Um, what about you? How, how, was, how are you feeling for 2023? Good. I, excited. I mean, it's definitely going to be different than the last two years, just with the market changing, interest rates going up, everybody's pivoting, changing their strategy. So there's some that are super excited excited about what's going to be coming this year. And then I feel like there's others that are sweating bullets and actually really nervous what's going to be happening this year. So I think a lot of people are taking advantage of how to, you know, change, adjust and pivot their investing strategy right now to kind of take advantage of the situation and not be, you know, somebody that's going to be struggling during the next year with however the market goes. Well, you know what might be a cool show, Ash, and, and for our producers that are listening, is if we got me and you, Dave Meyer, and maybe like a panel of people who specialize in like different asset classes. So maybe we bring on like AJ Osborne to talk about stuff to talk about self storage, um, James Zander to talk about flipping. Um, obviously, I can talk about like short term rentals, you know, the long term rental side. And maybe we just kind of, you know, from the data that Dave's got, like which one of these asset classes is going to do, you know, worse or better as we go through this next market cycle. That could be a cool, cool show to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that would be really cool. Almost kind of like a, a debate where, you know, we're each advocating for how our strategy can work, but not even just at a debate, but showing how we're pivoting our current strategies to adjust to the market. Um, so if somebody wants to change to pivot to that strategy or stay focused on that, some of the things that we're each doing based on the asset class. Yeah, that would be really cool. And, and I'm pretty sure our produ producers don't listen to the show, so we'll have to tell them after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? 
Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent toretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Uh, so how was your New Year's, Tony? I saw that you were in New York City. We got to do a little boring banter. Yeah, yeah. No, New Year's was cool. Yeah, we, we spent New Year's Eve and a New Year's Day in New York City. Uh, Sarah and I went back in 2012, and we actually were like did the whole Times Square thing where we like camped out all day waiting for her to see the ball drop. Um, didn't want to do that this time around. Plus, we had our son with us, so we, we were just like at a cool like, like little arcade in, in Times Square for New Year's Eve. So it was cool. Super busy, um, but still, I, I love New York City. And um, But I think three days there is probably the most that I can handle just with all the people and the noise and the honking and the sirens and all the other stuff, but it was it was good. We saw all the big sites, Central Park. We did uh, the 9-11 Memorial. Uh, the Memorial Museum for 9-11 is probably one of the coolest things I've been to, and I've been to it twice now. And, you know, I was, I was you know, like in, 
I don't know, junior high, elementary school when 9-11 happened. So I didn't really understand the weight of that whole experience, but going to that museum and hearing the stories and, and seeing the, like they, they have like voicemails of people were recording when they were on the plane about to crash and like just everything in that museum was super touching and and i was glad my son got to see it as well to, to kind of understand the impact of that moment so lots of great things in new york city yeah i've only been to the monument i've never been to the actual museum but yeah i'll have yeah, to highly recommend it, it. Yeah. yeah i did the the new year's eve thing when i was in college and like the same thing, you're like packed and like your cattle in these <laughs> corrals, you're sectioned yeah. off, you can buy a $50 pizza, you can't yeah. go to the bathroom. And then yeah. as soon as the ball drops, everybody just runs and it's just garbage everywhere. And I just remember we were like, there's an Applebee's. Okay, everybody, we're going to book it there. We'll meet you there. And everybody just like took off and ran just to eat something. But um, yeah, for me, it's like one of those things like you do it once and never do it again. Yeah. 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 So this year we took the kids and we went to a ski resort. And so we did, you know, they had the fireworks. They, we went snowboarding. Um, they do like a torch parade with the skiers down the hill before midnight. They had like a, a family party where they had a DJ and they did it. They had a dance contest. So we were so proud of the kids because they each did the dance contest. So they're like telling us how nervous they were and everything going up to do it. And they, they were well-deserved to be nervous because there was like six and seven-year-old girls doing backflips and all these things. They were like, our boys are still going to go out there and do a, dan do a dance. And there's these girls doing acrobats out there, but we were just so proud of them for, you know, getting over those nerves and going in there and tried it out. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Where was that at? Where, where'd you guys go? Was it in New York? Yeah. Yeah. It's Holiday Valley. So it's the second closest ski resort to us. Oh, yeah. cool. It's in a really nice town, Ellicottville, which um, has a actually really nice short-term rental market. I remember you they actually, about that place. Yeah, they stopped doing um, short-term rentals directly in the village of it now just because there was so many that the actual occupancy of people who lived there full-time was so low. So they actually stopped doing short-term rentals right in the village. So it's only in the town um, that you can actually have them. And so it's definitely been like a, a changing market there for short-term rentals. Yeah. And we're seeing that all across the board in a lot of different cities as well, where regulations are starting to tighten up a little bit, which isn't a bad thing, but you know, part of the, part of the process. Yeah. One of the projects I'm working on this year is a property I bought that's, um, about 10 minutes outside of, uh, this town, Ellicottville. And when they stopped doing the short-term rentals in the village, it just, added to our property value because we can still do it where we are and we're out, you know, on the outskirts enough, but still so close. Um, we actually had somebody that stayed in one of my other short-term rentals and this one's 20 minutes away from this town and they were staying just to go skiing at this resort. So, well, we got a good episode for today, right? We have, uh, the, the world famous, none other than Amanda Hahn. Uh, if you guys don't know Amanda Hahn, she is like the Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, or I don't know who else is like, she's like the, I don't know who, who's someone that's like super knowledgeable. I don't know. I'm struggling with my metaphor. First of all, she is the nicest and most friendliest person you will ever meet. You are just like automatically attracted to her just because she's so nice and 
bubbly and yeah so that's but, like but she's the like first wicked thing. smart but yes <laughs> full of knowledge yeah she's like a savant when it comes to everything related to tax strategy so she's written not one but two books for bigger pockets on on tax strategy the first one is tax strategies for the savvy real estate investor and the second one is the, the advanced tax strategies for real estate investors and both of those books are really good uh kind of foundational building blocks if you want to learn about ways that real estate can help you from a tax perspective. But we brought Amanda on today to talk about a whole slew of topics ranging from when should you start looking for a tax planner, tax strategist for your business, the difference between someone doing tax prep and tax strategy and, and like so many other things. Like, I don't know, what was your favorite part of the conversation, Ash? Well, first of all, those books that you mentioned, highly recommend. I have them both. I've read them both. I give them out to a ton of people. But um, if we do actually give a discount code out, so if you guys are interested, make sure you listen to the episode for that discount code too. I think my favorite thing was talking um, about actually setting up your LLCs too, because you may not think that would be something you'd talk to your CPA about. Maybe that's something more you talk to an attorney about, but she'll go through reasons why you should consult your CPA. And I think there's a joint effort there between an attorney and a CPA as to how you should set up that legal structure for your entity. So that was kind of my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, I enjoy that. I think my favorite part was when she ranked the different investment strategies from like best tax treatment versus worst tax treatment. So if you're on the fence about which way you want to go, listen to that part of the episode. It might help you uh, decide the strategy that's right for you. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us and welcome back to the show. We always love having you on. Can you start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and why you're on the show today? Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to be here, um, to be back on the Ricky podcast. So my name's Amanda Hahn. I am a uh, CPA and real estate investor myself. So uh, not unlike a lot of the Ricky investors, uh, I still have a daytime job. My daytime job happens to be uh, working in my firm Keystone CPA, where we help investors nationwide on how to use tax planning to save on taxes. And uh, by night, I'm a real estate investor. You know, again, <laughs> I like a lot of you guys wait till the kids fall asleep so I can sneak in some time to, to work on my real estate stuff. Amanda, before we even get into the CPA part and your daytime job and all of the tax benefits of real estate investing, can you tell us just a little bit about your own real estate investing journey and maybe some of the strategies you have used? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I started investing in, in real estate um, in my kind of like my mid 20s. And, uh, you know, not unlike a lot of people, I, you know, my impetus to doing it was I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad book. Um, and at the time, what was interesting was I was actually a CPA working with investors, um, but I just never thought I could do it. It was almost just like something that other people did, people who had a lot of money and experience and all that. Um, but really seeing the tax benefits of what a lot of my clients that were making a ton of money but not paying a lot in taxes was was when my husband, Matt, and I decided we were going to get into real estate investing. And I just remember it was very um, horrific uh, for me to sign the paperwork to buy my first rental property. Again, it was just this this thing of like, you know, how, why, why would I be able to do it? Is it something that I can do? Um, but I think for me, that was like the hardest investment thereafter. Um, you know, every investor investment thereafter that has been just easier and easier. So never looked back. So it, it seems that you've definitely have some experience as an investor. What is your take on 
how beneficial that can be when you are looking for a CPA? Um, gosh, well, I think it's very important um, when you're working with, you know, not just a CPA, any kind of advisor, right? It's a CPA, it's your uh, attorney, um, your real estate agent, right? So your team, you just want them to um, invest personally in real estate because as real estate investors, we have our kind of a different lingo that we use, right? When we talk about stuff, especially for bigger pockets people, um, you know, the birth strategy or subject twos. And um, you just don't want to be the person to be teaching your tax advisor uh, what is going on in the real estate, right? You want them to understand the transactions in real estate because that's the baseline for them being able to know what you're doing and then be able to help you with the planning and the strategy surrounding those transactions. So yeah, I think it's very important. And Amanda, I don't know if you know this, but you're actually the reason, or at least a big part of the reason why I invest in short-term rentals. So uh, our mutual friend, Alex Sabio was a client of yours and you encouraged him for some of the tax benefits to come along with short-term rentals to look at that asset class. He took your advice, bought a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. And then after he got his contract under cabin, he came to me and said, Tony, you should buy a short-term rental. And I said, all right, cool. If you're doing it, I guess I'm going to do it too. So had had it not been for your advice, I, I would have no short-term rentals at this point. So I don't know if I've ever, if I've ever shared that with you before. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, but no, I didn't know that until recently uh, when I was at your short-term rental summit. And I think everybody yeah. was there together. Um, I heard <laughs> yeah. that story and I love it. It's such an amazing story to um, know that I was a, a tiny bit <laughs> in kind of helping to, um, you know, help you guys uh, build your portfolio. But and that's why I really love being on, um, you know, like podcasts like this. Just you, I, you never know who's listening and you never know who's going to take action and implement like that tiny, tiny little golden nugget and then, you know, grow their wealth and grow their friends wealth. Amanda, before we get too far into the show, I want to make sure that we're capturing our full audience. So this is the rookie show and maybe people are listening that don't have a deal yet and I don't want them to tune out. Why, what are some of the reasons they should listen to this episode? How important is it for you to know about these things, this tax strategy before you even start investing or as you're starting out, even if you have one, two, three properties? You know, actually, I think when it comes to tax planning, the best time to do planning is actually before you buy rental properties or before you buy a lot of rental properties. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about legal entity, you know, in a, in a minute uh, later today. But and the reason for that is you know, as with anything, right, when you're putting together the plan for rookie investor, what am I going to be doing? Is it short term rentals? Is it long term? Is it house hacking? The different types of investments have different strategies. And so um, as soon as you know, what's my plan, what am I going to invest in? How, how many properties this year or next year? Um, then that's a good time to educate yourself in terms of what are the possible ways I can use my investments to save on taxes. Um, if you start planning too late, let's say after I have, you know, five, six, seven rental properties, unfortunately, um, I see this too, way too often that where people end up in the wrong entity structure or um, just the wrong way to do things. And sometimes if you make a mistake um, earlier on, it could be very costly and sometimes even impossible 
to fix some of those issues. So yeah, the earlier it, you know, you 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 understand some of these benefits, the better it is. Yeah, and I, I can speak from firsthand experience um, the the challenges that come along with waiting too long to get some of that professional help. Um, so uh, Amanda, one thing I want to circle back to you because you mentioned this is that you focus on on tax strategy and tax planning. Can you just define for us a difference? What is the difference between what you do as someone who focuses on tax strategy versus tax preparation? And how do those two different kind of people play into when folks should start looking at those different as- like aspects of tax? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, one of the most common mistakes that, that um, investors make, and that's not just rookies, that's even very experienced people, is not understanding that there's even a difference between tax planning and tax return filing. So tax return filing, um, I think that's what a lot of people are thinking right now, right, when they're listening to our podcast. So tax return filing is when you're taking your paperwork, a recap of what already happened last year, and you're having a tax person put the right numbers on the right forms. Um, that's really it. You know, they're reporting what did or didn't happen, and they're going to tell you how much you owe uh, in taxes. That's really it. Um, but tax planning is your, when you are doing the right things throughout the year so that by next April, you can pay the least amount of tax or get the biggest refund. And so, you know, again, even though a lot of people right now are thinking, oh, I'm going to get my tax return file for last year, uh, what you're doing is really just reporting what happened last year. But really what you should be doing is taking a look ahead at the rest, you know, this upcoming year and saying, okay, what are some of the things I should be doing so that I can, you know, not just not just make more money, but save more money, um, you know, or save more of the money that I just made. So I think that's a huge difference in, in the two. Well, let's get into it. How are some of the ways a rookie investor can save money by purchasing their first investment property? And I'm not sure the best way that you want to kind of go through this, but do we want to go like, you know, some of the top reasons for each strategy or just things overall in general? But just let's start there as to, you know, how can investing in real estate you know, kind of benefit anybody? What are some of those tax strategies? Yeah, it's a really good question, you know, because I think, um, I mean, we all know, right, like wealthy individuals make a ton of money and don't pay a lot in taxes. And so, you know, you read about those people, um, you know, Elon Musk, Donald Trump. um, But I think for a lot of investors, especially for rookie investors starting out, it's kind of like, wow, that's great for them. But how does that, you know, how does that relate to me? And what I love about real estate is that that's an asset class that encompasses a lot of the strategies that these super wealthy people use. So if we go over some examples, right? So how how do wealthy people make a lot of money but pay no taxes? because they build businesses or they buy things that go up in value, um, but they don't have to pay taxes on that. So that's the same thing for real estate. If you buy a property for $100,000 and you know a couple of years from now it's worth $150,000, we're not paying taxes on that appreciation. Um, so versus you know comparing that to like a w2 income if you made fifty thousand dollars of income um you know odds are you're paying a good amount of taxes on that and so that's one of the reasons that real estate is really beneficial um, because it allows you to grow your wealth without having to to pay a ton in taxes amanda one so yeah there's obviously a ton of benefits that come along with investing in real estate but every strategy kind of has its own um i guess ability to help you reduce your taxable income, like some strategies are better for taxes, others are are not so great. Um, So if you think about like the big buckets of investing in real estate, you have, you know, long term rentals, short term rentals, 
flipping, wholesaling, maybe at a, a higher level like commercial real estate in terms of syndications and stuff like that. If you had to kind of rank from maybe least tax preference to like highest tax preference, how would those strategies stack up? Well, um, I mean, I think the preference will differ from investor to investor, right? Because every person has a different profile. Someone might be still working full time. Someone else might already be doing real estate full time. Um, but we'll just take a kind of the scenario of someone who is still working full time, right, at a job because it's a rookie investor just starting out in real estate, maybe one property this year. Um, from that perspective, I would say, uh, I, for me personally, I heavily lean towards short term rentals. A little bit about what you brought up earlier, Tony, um, and the reason for that is for short term rental properties, um, if you create a tax loss. And tax loss meaning that you know we're maximizing a write-off, so we're doing clever things with depreciation, right? Not actually losing money. So when we create strategically create losses. Um, it's a lot easier for us to use that not just offset income from the rental property itself, but also offsetting income from our W two job as well. And so the short term rental, you know, out of all the different ones that you named, um, that's kind of the lowest hanging fruit where it's very possible for people to have a high earn, a high W two job, but still be able to utilize a lot of those tax benefits um, by doing real estate on the side. Um, for long term rentals, I think that was that's probably next. And by long term rentals, we also um, combine, you know, single family, multifamily, commercial property. Those are all typically long term rental properties. Um, that's generally the second bucket because we can still use all those, you know, depreciation and, and, and expensing and all that to offset the income. But if you're someone with higher income, you just might not be able to use it to offset W 2 taxes. Um, I mean, it's always possible to do with planning, but again, not as easy as the short term. Um, and then the third bucket is kind of what you mentioned more of the active real estate. So flipping, wholesaling, maybe be getting real estate commissions. Um, that's kind of the the third or, or least preferred bucket because when you're when you're doing those kind of transactions, um, typically you pay higher taxes on that earned income. And especially for flippers and wholesalers, we don't really get the benefit of rental real estate in terms of depreciation because you know after we're done with the rehab, we're just selling it immediately, right? So we're not really getting depreciation like we would do with rental real estate. And Amanda, let's like talk about how. This is all legal, these tax benefits. This isn't, you hear sometimes in the news about, oh, this, you know, person or this corporation, they didn't pay any taxes. Like it's, they did this awful thing by cheating on their taxes somehow, but these are all legal tax benefits. And if somebody else is taking advantage of them, why aren't you guys, you know, go ahead. This is at your disposal. This is for anybody to take advantage of these tax benefits to reduce your your taxable income. Yeah, and I think it's you know not only is it legal, it's actually encouraged, right? And the the reason the government gives us a lot of these benefits is because they want you they want to encourage certain actions. So they want invest for investors specifically, right? They want us to be providing housing because um, you know the government doesn't want to do all that. They don't have time to do all that. So that's why they give us the incentives. Um, you know, right now with um, you know write offs and depreciation, you can you know we're getting bonus depreciation. And again, that's another one of those that um, came out when they were trying to stimulate the economy. They're trying to stimulate investors and business owners to spend money, make improvements on properties. And in exchange for, you know, incentivizing you to do those things, 
is why the government gives us these different tax breaks. So yeah, definitely, um, you know, all our legal strategies. We we, we don't want to <laughs> head towards the illegal side of things, right? That's not what we're here to do. So Amanda, I think there's this balance that uh, especially new investors have to strike between showing the, because you talked about the benefits of showing paper losses and how it, it could allow you to pay zero to, to little taxes. But the the flip side of that is that if you're showing all these paper losses, it also makes you less bankable when you're trying to go out and get that next loan. So as a new investor, how do you kind of balance trying to reduce your taxable income while still showing enough to help you get approved for that next mortgage? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one we hear a lot from investor clients that we work with. Um, so I think there's two main things. One is that if you're doing things correctly, um, there is a way to achieve both, meaning you know, you're writing off or you're maximizing your write-off so that you can get the tax savings, but at the same time, it's not eliminating your ability to borrow uh, and use leverage to grow your real estate. So one of the major benefits of being a real estate investor is we get to write off depreciation, right? And that's just a, a paper loss that, you know, we take the building of the property, we write it off over time. Um, if you're working with a good mortgage broker or a lender, they're going to be able to explain that to their underwriters. And so what that's a, a perfect example of something that's tax deductible for you to help reduce taxes, but is not hurting you when it comes to looking at your debt to income ratio. Um, a couple other things on the similar note would be like, you know, we always encourage investor clients, if you're using your car for your real estate, or if you have a home office, to make sure you're claiming those. Um, because these are personal expenses that we all have already, but we're just shifting it into a tax deductible bucket when we're a real estate investor. And those are two other things that, you know, the lender is already factoring in like your rent or your mortgage payment. And so the fact that you're now deducting it as a rental expense, um, they shouldn't be double counting that against your income. So there's, you know, always little different things like that where it helps you to benefit you from a tax perspective, but doesn't hurt you. But I will have to say, you know, I mean, we work... I think the the vast majority of our clients are real estate investors. And I rarely uh, come across someone who said, you know, Amanda, I really can no longer bro grow my portfolio because of loan issues. You know, I think I definitely see it more where if you have the right deals, you can find the money, right? It, it doesn't have to be bank financing. Lots of other ways to, to um, you know, achieve that goal of using leverage. So Amanda, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, deductions and reducing your taxable income. So just if we can, two questions here. First, if we can just break it down, like the basic definition, what is a tax deduction? Is it just free money that the government is giving us? Or what exactly is a deduction? And then if you can, what are some of the common deductions that a new real estate investor should be looking to take as they build their portfolio? Yeah. So there is like this misconception that when you write something off, you don't pay for it, that the government pays for it. But yeah, so Amanda, if you can go in and kind of talk about what a deduction is, what a write-off is and what it means and how it actually works. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And so, so the, yeah, so a deduction or a write-off, you know, it's the same thing for tax purposes. It's, um, it's a business expense that you're using to offset the income that's generated from that specific business. So we'll use rental properties as an example. Um, I made $100 of rental income, but I had $20 
$20 worth of uh, expenses, right? And so $20 is my write-off. So instead of paying taxes on $100 of rental income, um, I get to subtract 20. So now I'm only paying taxes on $80 of rental income. Um, and so, but you're right, Ashley, I think people are kind of confused sometimes to say, okay, well, if I write off $100, or if I write off $20, that means I didn't actually, you know, use my $20 to pay for the, the item. But no, you still did. You still use it to pay. The true cash from the tax saving is going to depend on what your tax rate is going to be. So let's say you're an investor and you have, um, you know, you spend $100 on um, Bigger Pockets membership, for example, and your tax rate is 50%. So you write off $100, but then you apply your tax rate of 50% against this. So you've saved $50 in cash. Um, so that's the way it works in, in terms of tax write-offs. Now, there's also tax credits, like if you are putting in solar for your car or, you know, certain I'm um, so solar for your investment properties, or if you're buying a new car and there's, you know, electric vehicle credit, tax credits are actually dollar for dollar. So if someone says, if you buy this car, you get $7,500 in credit, that is actually $7,500 of, of cash in terms of like a refund or reducing your taxes. So, so there's a difference between write-offs versus credits. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. 
On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. But then, Amanda, there are some things like you talked about depreciation that are paper losses, but not necessarily money you, you actually have to spend. Can you elaborate on, on those a little bit as well? Yeah, for sure. So depreciation basically is what the, you know, the, the government allows us to take a write off over time, uh, for the purchase price of our building. And what's real. So for example, if I have a, you know, I bought a building for a hundred thousand dollars, normally I can write it off over 27 and a half years. And, you know, there's things that could be done where we can accelerate it, where, where we're writing off, you know, slow, uh, uh, much faster than waiting the entire 27 and a half years. But, um, what a lot of people um, kind of get confused on is what is the starting point for my write-off? So in my example, I said we bought a building for $100,000. Now, regardless of whether you bought that building all cash or if you did 20% down payment or if you did a subject to deal where you put like no money down, your depreciation is going to be exactly the same in all scenarios. So still looking at the purchase price. So in other words, um, especially for newer investors, I guess all investors, the more leverage um, that you're comfortable to use in investing in real estate, the higher the potential tax benefit, because it's our, our depreciation is always based on purchase price, irrespective of how much down payment you've put on a property. So Amanda, just to clarify, we have like two different types of, I guess, really three different types of like tax benefits here. There's the deduction you get for spending money, but you don't get that full value dollar realized when you're doing your taxes. You have tax credits, which is a dollar for dollar match, but you're, you're still spending that money. And you have this other bucket of things like uh, depreciation where you're not actually spending that money, but you're still getting a tax benefit from doing it. So those are kind of the, the three big buckets, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah, I mean, so the, I mean, depreciation just means that, you know, I mean, you don't have you're not spending, you don't have to spend the cash today, right? You're using leverage. Um, I think we can also think about it <laughs> in terms of uh, deductions in general. So let's say, for example, that um, I wanted to buy um, Ashley's new book that just came out. Um, but I don't have money, right? I don't have cash to buy it. Um, and so what I did is I just I'm going to buy the book, but I'm going to charge it on my credit card, I could still take a deduction for it, right? just even though I didn't pay cash for it, I could still write it off um, because I charged it on my card. It's an expense that I'm committed to. I'm, at some point, I'm going to pay off the credit card. Um, so yeah, so in, when it comes to taxes, it doesn't always have to equate to cash spent. It's more of, you know, once I've incurred this expense. So that could be charging it on a credit card. Amanda, besides buying Bigger Pockets books uh, to educate yourself, what are some common uh tax deductions for rookie investors besides the property, utilities, insurance? Should they be tracking their mileage when they drive to the properties, things like that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for investors, you know, all people, but especially rookie, this is an area that where we see the the biggest missed opportunity,、um, where people are always looking at just you know the property stuff, like you said, interest and insurance and things like that. But really, there's all kinds of things that could be tax deductible. I think the best practice I always tell people is that when you're about to spend money on something that's you know somewhat significant,、um, always ask yourself, is this something that's going to help me improve my my real estate? Portfolio or my wealth building. Is this something that's ordinary and necessary for me as a real estate investor?、Um, so yeah, it's more than just you know the books and things like that, or you know definitely your mileage, your home office. If you're traveling to go to conferences, it's the flight, it's the hotel, it's the dinner and the drinks when you are networking with other investors.、Um, so really, just making it a habit. You know, I know not everyone is like me and always thinking about taxes, but just make it a good habit when you're spending money. Just kind of ask yourself a little bit. Is this something that potentially could be a deduction?、Um, because here's why it's important: if you don't track those expenses and you're not asking yourself that question, then、um, your tax person doesn't even know you spend it. You know, un- unlikely they know, unless if they went to the conference with you.、Um, but you're kind of that first line of defense to be tracking those expenses. And what's the worst that could happen when it's tax time? Your tax person might say, "Oh, actually, no. That massage that Ashley had by herself was not a tax deduction."、Um, but that's fine. You know, at least you've tracked it. it could Have been right, so I have to get a couple's massage with Tony for in order for it to be a tax deduction, and we'll discuss business. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk business. <laughs> yeah, you can do some podcasts from there. I know, like,、um, was、uh, Brandon Turner always talks about how he gets his inspirations when he's in, you know getting massages. So yeah, that could work. <laughs> okay, producers, I know you're listening. The next time you and Tony are in person, we're gonna do a couple's massage while we record. <laughs> Amanda, one thing I wanted to ask you about is the home office deduction. How does that work? Like, how do you actually deduct a home office? Yeah, so、uh, home office basically is the IRS allowing you to take. Um, the business use part of your home as a deduction. So normally, when we have our home,、um, you know, if you're renting a house or your you, you purchase your primary home, we can only deduct mortgage interest and property taxes. Everything else, like internet, utilities, house cleaning, securities, those are personal expenses. We don't really get a benefit for it. But as a real estate investor, if you have a room or a part of your home. Uh, where you're using for your real estate that could potentially be a legitimate home office, and when you have a home office,、um, what will happen is when when it's time to do your tax returns, your tax preparer will help you determine a business percentage of the home that's tax deductible. So you know, if I spend a thousand dollars on my、um, you know utilities or internet for the year, but my home is you know ten percent of it is my Business office, then you know you might get like a hundred dollars of tax deduction on your utilities or internet use, and so、um, it's really it's kind of, again it's a low hanging fruit because we all have home expenses. So if you can set your home up where you have a legitimate office, then you could be shifting some of these personal expenses into business deductions.、Um, a misconception that people think home office is only for people who. Own their home, but it actually works really great for renters too. So if you're a newbie investor, you don't own your home yet; you're just renting. You can deduct part of your rent expense as your home office too. Amanda, now, now one question for me: like, obviously, there there are so many. Actually, let me ask you. Maybe you know the answer to this question. Like the the IRS tax code. Do you know like how many pages ballpark it is? <laughs> 
tone. I know it's like thousands of pages, um, and that's just the code, right? And then there's the regulations and all that that explains the tax code. <laughs> so there, there's so many different pieces to getting your tax strategy right, and I think as a new investor, it can feel almost overwhelming when you start thinking about like, oh my God, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I doing that? So if I'm a rookie investor and I'm having that that first conversation with my tax strategist, what kind of information should I have ready for that person so that they can educate me on the deductions that are right for my unique situation? Yeah, I think, um, now this is a, such a great question because um, the goal or my goal is never for an investor to become a CPA, right? We can get into the nitty gritty of depreciation and, and calculating the home office and all that, but but really that's not the intent. The intent for an investor is just to really understand what are some of the things I need to do during the year? Um, what are the systems I put in place? How What expenses should I be tracking? How should I be tracking them? Um, and that's pretty much it, right? If you know what you should be doing and then you have the, the right tax advisors, they'll be able to take the data or the information you have and then helping you to create the ideal, um, you know, outcome of your tax returns. So for for newer investors, I think it's just you know understanding the basics of what I need. For very rookie investors, um, I think one of the issues that I see as an advisor sometimes people will come to us and say, "Oh, I'm really to do planning." Um, you want to know what is your investment strategy first. So there is a point where. You know, you're looking at, am I doing house hacking? Am I doing short-term or long-term or mobile home park? Um, those different investments have different tax consequences and therefore different um, tax strategies. So um, before meeting with your tax person for the first time, you do want to have a, a fairly decent idea of what it is you want to do, right? What is my investment goal? How many rentals? What states do I want to be investing in? Because those kind of things play a very important factor for the starting point of what your plan is going to be on how to save on taxes. So Amanda, we talked about different ways to track your expenses and, you know, you may be able to save the receipts from your Lowe's purchase of the the new hardware you got for the cabinets, or, you know, you're saving the copy of your insurance policy showing the premium, but what a, what's the best way to track all of these expenses? And then even the expenses where you're not getting really receipts from like your mileage, or even if you're taking the home deduction, is there a good way to kind of keep track of how much you're using your home office and what percentage of your utilities, things like that? What are, is there any like great software that you rec recommend for a rookie investor? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of the how to track it, the system, I'm really, I'm a huge systems person because uh, I know everyone's really busy, right? And so um, creating a system on tracking those expenses is really key uh, because you have, if you have the right system, it's something that you'll be using, you know, throughout the year, right? Um, so there's not, I mean, for me as a tax advisor, I don't have a preference in terms of what an investor should be using. I think it's going to be very specific to the investor themselves. So a lot of people like to use apps to track their stuff. You know, QuickBooks has apps. Um, Stessa is another good one. Uh, so those different software and apps are really great. They're, um, you know, can be geared towards real estate investors where a lot of these could be automated. You don't have to do a lot of data entry. Um, so, but 
we also have investors who just don't really like technology. You know, they don't really want to learn how to use yet another software, memorize another login. And so for people like that, um, especially for rookie investors, Excel or Google Sheets, you know, something like that um, is also really sufficient too, as long as it's something that you're comfortable with and you're using, you know, consistently throughout the year. Um, for car expenses, I really like Mile IQ. Um, it's one that I use, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty user-friendly. But yeah, there's different apps out there that you can utilize um, for anyone who's tracking like their real estate hours, if they're trying to qualify for real estate professional or they're using like short-term rental loopholes. Um, a really great app is called Reps Tracker, R-E-P-S Tracker. Um, it was actually created by uh, a client of mine who was a physician. <laughs> And because uh, I was tracking that in Excel and she told me, you know, Amanda, Excel is not good enough. Someone needs to create a, an app for it. So, <laughs> Amanda, can we just really quickly, because we, we've talked about this phrase a little bit, but can you define reps? Like what, what, what is reps and, and sh like how can a rookie investor utilize that strategy in their investment? like business. Yeah. So, um, so reps uh, stands for real estate professional status. Um, and it is, uh, real estate professional is important for people who make over $150,000 a year and are uh, investing in long-term rental properties. Reason being that if you're of higher income and you invest in long-term rentals, if you're able, even if you're able to strategically create tax losses through, you know, write-offs and depreciation, things like that, um, your losses can only offset uh, taxes from other passive income. So other rental properties or, you know, any other and anything else that's passive to you. In other words, it's not being used right now to offset taxes from your W-2 income. So this is the limitation that, um, you know, kind of a current limitation that investors are concerned with. So um, to be a real estate professional means that you are you or your spouse is spending at least 750 hours in real estate and that you spend more time in real estate than your jobs. So if you're working at, you know, full time at 2000 hours a year, you can't really be a real estate professional unless you more, you know, spend more than 2000 hours a year in your uh, real estate. So, um, so that's why it's important to track hours. And, you know, and this kind of goes back earlier, Tony, when you were asking, you know, what's the different buckets? What's the order of preference? And that's when I said short-term rental is the preferred bucket because for short-term rental properties, we don't have to be a real estate professional to use the losses. Um, in other words, we don't care how many hours you're spending at your job. We don't have to have 2000 hours. You just have to have some material, meet material participation hours for your short-term rentals. Um, um, so yeah, we can talk for eight hours on the whole real estate professional stuff, but that's kind of the gist of it. And, and again, why it's important if you're trying to go with one of these, you know, loopholes or strategies that you're not just tracking expenses, but you're also tracking your hours as well. So would this work for a married couple filing jointly if, you know, maybe the wife has a high income W-2 and then the husband is a stay at home dad? Is it beneficial for him to actually take on the workload of their real estate business? And then with them filing jointly, they'll get that tax benefit of her high income along with the real estate professional status of his. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the profile um, that would make sense. You got one high income person, you got someone else who's not working full time and having that second person be um, the main person in charge of your real estate activities and your investments and things like that. So this is where when you hear stories about, oh, you know, I made uh, $500,000 last year and I paid no tax. 
right? Odds are、um, they're talking about some kind of profile like this, and, and not just the same person making five hundred thousand and doing real estate full time, right? So, Amanda, with all of this information out there, and you know, it, it's there's it's mind boggling to me how many different things you have to keep track of as CPA. So, I have the utmost respect for you and your ability to kind of keep tabs and all that. But if I'm a new investor, what what steps can I take to, I guess, protect myself from getting the wrong information? Gosh, you know, it's interesting,、um, especially with a lot with social media now, right? There's so much information and、um, you know content out there. And you know, I put out content myself too、um, on social media, and、um, but I always try to tell people like, hey, this is you know, it's content is content, but you want to make sure you're talking to your own tax advisor to see if this strategy or this idea. Actually applies to your specific scenario. So a strategy that works for Tony may or may not work for Ashley, right? And so、um, it's just making sure that you、um, are speaking with someone who knows about you and what you have going on.、Um, and then it comes. So then the next question is, you know, how do I find that person who、um, you know is well versed in real estate or can help me in real estate? And I think nine times out of ten, when investors are interviewing. Uh, tax preparers or CPAs, the question they ask is,、um, "Do you work with real estate investors?" Right, that's an easy question to ask, and probably ten out of ten times the answer is going to be yes. I work with real estate investors because everybody has at least one real estate investor client. So it's not really a powerful question. I think a more powerful question、um, is to kind of have them talk about real estate. Earlier we talked about the real estate lingo, so you can ask them. You know, for example,、um, what do you think about subject to deals? How do you treat those for tax purposes? And let them talk. Right. I mean, maybe you don't you don't really know if they have the right answer or not, but at least you know whether. Do they even understand what is a subject to deal? Um, or um, you can ask, what are your other、um, rookie investor clients doing? Where are they investing? What are you seeing as successful with your other investor clients? And just really、um, let them talk, and can you, you? You, I think you'll quickly be able to see how in depth of a real estate conversation they can get into、um, to see if they actually are someone who you know works with a lot of investors. So Amanda, we talked a lot about you know different tax strategies, things like that. And in the beginning, you had mentioned putting together the actual structure of the entities. So could you maybe talk a little bit more in depth about that? And as rookie investors, what's the best way to start? We hear all the time, put it into your personal name so you get that long thirty-year fixed low interest rate, or put it in an LLC.、Um, You know, should you do a corporation? Do you have a holding company? There's all these different ways. Do you put it into a trust? All these things. So, what would be your recommendation for just somebody starting out, or does it really depend on their, you know? And what they have going on outside of just buying their first property? Yeah, I mean, I have to go with the unpopular answer of it depends because it really does. And I think that if you're ever talking to someone and they say, you know, like like if you go to、um, like a conference, right, and someone is saying everybody needs to have a Wyoming LLC with a corporation,、um, definitely stay away from that because there's there's never a one size fits all、um, strategy, especially when it comes to legal entities. Um, but kind of a couple high level points.、Um, you know, if you're talking about rental real estate,、um, it's going to be in your personal name or in an LLC, 
Okay, it's not going to be in any kind of corporation, um, and the reason is because there's a lot of downsides to owning rentals in a corporation. On the other hand, if you're someone who's an active investor, um, meaning like flipping, wholesaling, real estate commissions, property management, then those are times where it could make sense and you could save taxes by being in a corporation. But the vast majority of rental investors um, and especially rookie investors, um, the LLC is going to be the way to go because you can can you can likely maximize all of the various write-offs we talked about today, um, regardless of whether you own the property in your personal name or inside of an LLC. Okay, so the LLC is really just there for asset protection purposes, not for tax reasons. And a lot of newbie investors um, come to me and say, oh my gosh, you know, I heard you on the podcast talking about writing off books and this and that, but I don't have an entity yet. So it's really important to understand you don't have to have a legal entity to be writing off these expenses. You just have to be in the business of investing in real estate. And that could simply mean owning a rental property in your personal name, right? Starting out just with the simplest is buy property in my name, renting it out, or even like house hacking, you know, um, that you are in the business of real estate. So don't necessarily need to have an entity. So, uh, man, I just want to recap what you just said, because I, I, I want to make sure it doesn't go over the heads of our listeners. But what you're saying is you do not need an entity, an LLC, an S-corp, any of that to take advantage of the tax benefits that come along with investing in real estate. So the property could be in Tony's name, the mortgage could be in Tony's name, all of the expenses could flow through an account that's in Tony's name, and I could still have the tax benefits that come along with investing in real estate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think uh, um, one thing, especially for rookie investors, is to, even if you decided to have an LLC, right, for your first um, one or two or three rental properties, um, the caution is to not to get, don't, uh, go overboard with legal entities. I unfortunately meet investors who spend ten to thirty thousand dollars in legal fees forming all these very complicated, extravagant entities. Um, a lot of times it's not needed, especially if you're just starting out and it could get very costly in terms of the annual fees, the different bank accounts and bookkeeping and tax returns. So be careful um, of you know getting too complicated too quickly. Amanda, just one follow-up question on that. Um, what what could be the reason that an investor would need more than one entity? Like in, in what scenario does it actually make sense for them to do that? Um, so, so if we're talking about rental real estate specifically, um, it would be from an asset protection perspective. So it could be a case where your attorney says, okay, well, you know, you have two rental properties when you have a lot of equity, the other one, you have very little equity, but high risk, you know, there's a pool, there's stairs, your tenants are, you know, have babies. So maybe you want to have them in two different entities so that um, you're bifurcating kind of the, the the different risks associated with it. Um, but you know that it, it's it the reason you'd have multiple would be because your attorney feels like you need that level of asset protection, right? And not just, you know, because Robert Kiyosaki has these crazy structures and therefore I must have that to be successful. <laughs> So from a tax benefit or from a tax perspective, there typically isn't a whole lot of reasons you should have multiple different LLCs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we, we do want to separate out like our investments from our active income. So again, if you're someone who's flipping and wholesaling, you have entity for that. Then you have rental real estate. You have a different set of entities just to keep them separated. Um, but yeah, tax wise, specifically looking at taxes, there's not a reason to have a bunch of entities holding a bunch of different properties. Um, you 
you know, for me, I think with anything else in real estate or business in general, I always take a look at it from the cost benefit perspective. What is it going to cost me to have X number of entities? And what is the benefit that I'm getting from it, right? Whether it's, you know, saving on taxes or getting, um, you know, being able to sleep at night a little bit better um, to then then decide, you know, how many entities do I really want to not just form, but maintain, right? People love forming entities and picking out cool names, um, but you have to maintain those entities and bank accounts and, you know, it's just a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I think one thing too, just to add to that, it's not really for ta- a tax reason, but also if you have different partners, you're going to have different LLCs too. You're going to, you know, that would be a a major reason to open up different LLCs is if you're taking on different partners because it it would be almost impossible to have one LLC but have a property. Me and Tony own 50-50 and then me and Daryl own, you know, 50-50, another property within the same LLC. So that would be just another obvious reason to have a separate LLC too, outside of the liability and the tax implications too. Yeah, definitely. And we do see that sometimes with rookie investors who are scaling quickly, um, where, you know, they'll have, you know, uh, different deals with different partners. And, and that's also a good sign that you should be working with a tax advisor too, on what is a, you know, are there better ways to simplify the structures or are there better ways to scale without having like, you know, six different partners and six different entities, right? With, with just six properties too. But yeah, that's a great point. Cool. All right, Amanda. Well, Ash, should we head into our questions or anything else you want to hit from Amanda first? No, I think we should definitely go into, um, we have a Facebook question uh, today instead of a rookie voicemail. So Amanda, today's question comes from the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. This question is, my husband and I are new investors, but I come from a family with a past in real estate investing. My grandfather, now deceased, had many rentals and eventually set up trust funds for several apartment complexes and storage unit sites with my uncle as the trustees and my siblings and I as the beneficiaries. None of us have really taken the dive into all of this to see how to maximize the portfolio. We've just been enjoying passive income for years. My question is, once a property no longer has the tax depreciation, what options do you have to continue getting the maximum tax benefits of real estate investing? Sell the property, use equity to invest in something with a higher price tag. I am very curious as to how we can leverage equity to purchase more deals, especially since the 27 years of tax depreciation is up. One apartment building he bought over 40 years ago. Well, first off, what a, a lucky, a lucky person to inherit such a wonderful, uh, a wonderful asset. Um, and I think for all of us as investors, right, we, that's where we hope to be, you know, to leave our legacy to kids and grandkids in that manner. Um, but yeah, that's uh, one of the best ways. You know, we talked earlier about the super wealthy people, how you know they get the tax benefits, and we can do the same as real estate investors. So this is a really great example, right? Um, this property has a, a, a good amount of equity. Now, um, you know, you could probably sell the property and depending on how it's structured, how it's in the trust or or coming out of the trust, um, potential ways to do a 1031 exchange to defer the taxes on the gain and then also reinvest that money into bigger and better properties and create new depreciation, new write-offs, right? Which sounds like it's their goal. Um, But if you didn't want to do that, tapping into equity is one of my favorite strategies. So if there was a million dollars 
dollar or two million dollars of equity in this property, um, you can get financing to tap into that equity. The money you take out, you don't have to pay taxes on it. So if you took out, you know, six hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand dollars, you're not paying taxes on that currently. So you take the six hundred thousand dollars as a down payment, and then you can buy another a million, two million, three million dollars worth of real estate. That's a huge amount of new depreciation and write off that you get. Um, and you still continue to hold on to the original property, right? Still appreciating and maybe a little bit less cash flow because now we have debt, but it's still going to be appreciating too. So I love the the possibility of being able to tap into that equity tax free and then using the new money to grow and build your portfolio even faster. Amanda, let me ask you, how does it work then as to who actually gets the loan on this? So the trust would actually get the loan on the property, but then would you know, the beneficiaries or would it be the trustee who would actually sign um, as a personal guarantor or would they have to go and get a mortgage where they're not personally guaranteeing anything? I think there's, um, I'm there's various different ways to do it. I imagine probably, um, it's going to be, de- be dependent upon how the structure is set up and also whether they want to continue holding the properties in the trust, right? Or at some point, maybe they want to distribute the assets out of the trust so that the beneficiaries are just owning it, you know, individually or collectively in some sort of other entity too. Um, but yeah, in terms of who's going to sign, who's going to be guarantors on it, that's, um, I mean, I imagine it could be everybody, but I think that's a better question maybe for like a lender to address. I, yeah, I was just curious of that. I, I don't have a trust or anything, but I've worked with another investor who does, and it's actually become like more of a headache for him than actually beneficial, I feel like. So yeah, it's just a question I have. Yeah. And we do see that a lot too. And that's why I was saying sometimes the best option is to unwind the trust, you know, just to take it out of the trust because there are limitations and, um, and the word trust is very generic. Um, we don't really know what kind of trust. There's so many different types of trust that exist out there. Some are easier to unwind and others not, you know, not as easy to do. Okay. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. Yeah, that was a, a great response. And man, I feel like we could keep this conversation going forever. Like there's so many things in the world of tax prep and strategy that, you know, we, yeah, there's so many things, but you provided so much value, man. So I want to finish things out by going into our rookie exam. These are the three most important questions you will ever be asked in your life, Amanda. So are you ready for the real estate rookie exam? Yes. Scared, but ready. <laughs> question number one, what's one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Uh, one actionable thing that they should um, do is follow me on social media, <laughs> Amanda Han CPA. Um, I try to put out good content, um, you know, um, every day. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, little snippets of, of, uh, of information so that it's not too overwhelming. And Amanda, you've been blowing up on Instagram. So kudos to you. I think you were at like, what, a thousand followers a few months ago. Now you're at like, what, 10, 11,000, somewhere around there. So you've been doing a great job on social. So guys, make sure you, you do give her a follow. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to um, share like little tidbits and tips here and there. Amanda, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use today? I use a ton. <laughs> I use a ton for taxes and things like that. But um, I started using Zapier. I don't know if you spell. I don't even know if you pronounce it Zapier or Zapier. 
if you guys know, um, but it's an automation tool um, that automates like a lot of stuff in our firm from marketing to administrative. Um, I don't really use it for real estate specifically right now, but I do use it for marketing and I really like that. Yeah, Zapier is great and it has so many connections to so many different things. I, I even want to say that it has like some kind of accounting stuff built into it as well, but don't quote me on that. But yeah, Zapier is, Zapier is a great tool. All right, last question, Amanda, where do you plan on being in five years? In five years, gosh, um, you know, I, it's interesting because I really love what um, I do, my role uh, at our firm, Keystone CPA. So um, so, it sounds so strange to say, but I I hope I'm doing the same thing that I'm doing now, five years from now. Um, uh, Investing wise, I think uh, I want to be more passive. I mean, I'm somewhat passive now. I have a portfolio. Uh, My husband and I, we have a portfolio of properties that we somewhat self-manage, but uh, uh, we are trying to grow more into the, you know, put more of our money in the passive side of things. Um, you know, I'm a huge believer in leverage. When in real estate, I always, you know, we talk about leveraging when it comes to debt, you know, good debt. Um, but my my new thing now is leveraging the expertise of other people, so other investors who are bigger, better, smarter than me, um, and just having them help me grow my portfolio. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on to the show with us. Uh, besides your Instagram account, where else can people? reach out to you and find out some more information about you. Um, yeah, I think uh, Keystone CPA is uh, our firm uh, name. So KeystoneCPA.com is our website. I think that's the best place to find me. Um, we have a lot of uh, great free downloadable uh, resources. So we talked a little bit today about real estate professional and the short-term rental loophole and legal entities. Um, so, you know, if you're a rookie investor and some of these kind of was the first time you're hearing about it, um, definitely check out our website and download our free tax savings toolkit kit to get more information on that. Amanda, you also have two two amazing books under the Bigger Pockets umbrella. Would you mind dropping those for us as well? Oh yes, here it is behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> Uh, tax strategies for the savvy real estate investor. Um, and then the, our second book is the book on advanced uh, tax strategies. And um, so for any of you who haven't read who haven't read it, I promise you it's not what you think when you hear about a tax savings book. Um, it is filled with stories, success stories, and also kind of nightmare stories about uh, what happens when you do tax planning correctly versus when you do it incorrectly. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, and it's a great foundational book. Like if, if you were intrigued by some of these strategies that we talked about in the podcast today, but you also feel kind of overwhelmed by the idea that there's so much more for you to learn, those two books are a great first place for you guys to get started. So um, before we close things out, I just want to give a quick shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. Uh, this week's Rockstar is Raleigh Anthony Salazar. And Raleigh says, it's done, but my first true rental property and I did it out of state. Back in July, I cashed out and refinanced my living burr. That is currently my primary residence for now. I put about 90K into my pocket. So, so I started looking for opportunities to invest. Um, living in the Pacific Northwest, I wanted to find better options. So I looked into the Midwest. And uh, Raleigh says, wouldn't be possible without connections I made in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook groups. So just another plug. If you guys have not yet joined the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, make sure you do. But to wrap it up really quickly, Raleigh said, bought this property for $100,000 at 25% down, three bed, one and a half bath and is now looking to put in a lease for about $1,100 per month. And they'll be cash flowing just over a hundred bucks every single month. So Raleigh, congrats to you for getting that first deal done. And we're super excited to see where it goes. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us onto the show. We really appreciated having you. And if anybody would like to purchase the book on 
tax strategies for the savvy real estate investor. You can go to the Bigger Pockets bookstore and you can use code Ashley or code Tony to get 10% off. So Amanda, thank you very much. I'm Ashley at Wealth Firm Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.